Chapter One of My First Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. My First Book by Various. Chapter One Ready Money Mortiboy by Walter Besant. Not the very first that after causing its writer labour infinite hope exaggerated and disappointment dire was consigned while still in manuscript to the flames my little experience however with this work of art which never saw the light may help others to believe what is so constantly denied that publishers do consider manuscripts sent to them my manuscript was sent anonymously without any introduction through a friend it was not only read and refused but it was read very conscientiously and right through so much was proved by the reader's opinion which not only showed the reasons good and sufficient reasons why he could not recommend the manuscript to be published but also contained indirectly certain hints and suggestions which opened up new ideas as to the art of fiction and helped to put a strayed sheep in the right way now it is quite obvious that what was done for me must be constantly and consistently done for others my very first novel therefore was read and refused would that candidates for literary honours could be made to understand that refusal is too often the very best thing that can happen to them but the gods sometimes punish man by granting his prayers how heavy may be the burden laid upon the writer by his first work if any one for instance should light upon the first novels written by richard jeffreys he will understand the weight of that burden my first manuscript therefore was destined to get burned or somehow destroyed for some years it lay in a corner say sprawled in a corner occupying much space at dusk i used to see a strange wobbling amorphous creature in that corner among those papers his body seemed not made for his limbs nor did these agree with each other and his head was out of proportion to the rest of him he sat upon the pile of papers and he wept wringing his hands alas he said not another like me don't make another like me i could not endure another like myself finally the creature's reproaches grew intolerable so i threw the bundle of papers behind the fire and he vanished one had discovered by this time that for the making even of a terrible novel it is necessary to leave off copying other people to observe on your own account to study realities to get out of the conventional groove to rely upon one or other of the great emotions of human nature and to try to hold the reader by dramatic presentation rather than by talk i do not say that this discovery came all at once but it came gradually and it proved valuable one more point a second assertion is continually being heard concerning editors it is that they do not read contributions offered to them when editors publicly advertise that they do not invite contributions or that they will not return contributions is it reasonable to suppose that they do not read them well you have heard my first experience with a publisher here next an experience with editors it is first to the fact that contributions are read by editors that i owe my introduction to james rice and my subsequent collaboration with him 
it was next to an unsolicited contribution that i owed a connection of many years with a certain monthly magazine it was lastly through an unsolicited contribution that i became and continued for some time a writer of leading articles for a great london daily therefore when i hear that editors will not read contributions i ask if things have changed in twenty years and why i sent a paper then unasked and without introduction to the editor of once a week the editor read it accepted it and sent it to the press immediately afterwards he left the journal because it was sold to rice then a young man not long from cambridge and just called to the bar he became editor as well as proprietor the former editor forgot to tell his successor anything about my article rice finding it in type and not knowing who had written it inserted it shortly after he took over the journal so that the first notice that i received that the paper was accepted was when i saw it in the magazine bristling with printer's errors of course i wrote indignantly to the editor i received a courteous reply begging me to call i did so and the matter was explained then for a year or two i continued to send things to once a week but the paper was anything but prosperous indeed i believe there was never any time during its existence of twenty years when it could be called prosperous after three years of gallant struggle rice concluded to give it up he sold the paper he would never confess how much he lost over it but the ambition to become proprietor and editor of a popular weekly existed no longer in his bosom and he was wont to grow thoughtful in after years when this episode was recalled to his memory during this period however i saw a great deal of the management and was admitted behind the scenes and saw several remarkable and interesting people for instance there was a certain literary hack a pure and simple hack who was engaged at a salary to furnish so many columns a week to order he was clever something of a scholar something of a poet and could write a very readable paper on almost any subject in fact he was not in the least proud and would undertake anything that was proposed it was not his duty to suggest nor did he show the least interest in his work nor had he the least desire to advance himself in most cases i believe he simply conveyed the matter and if the thing was found out he would be the first to deplore that he had forgotten the quotes he was a thirsty soul he had no enthusiasm except for drink he lived in fact only for drink in order to get more money for drink he lived in one squalid room and went in rags one day he dismissed himself after an incident over which we may drop a veil some time after it was reported that he was attempting the stage as a pantomime super but fate fell upon him he became ill he was carried to a hospital and pneumonia opened for him the gates of the other world he was made for better things again it was in the editor's small back room that i made the acquaintance of a young lady named julia whose biography i afterwards related she was a bookbinder's accountant all the day and in the evening she was a figurante at one of the theatres i think she was not a very pretty girl but she had good eyes of the soft sad kind which seemed to belong to those destined to die young and in the evening when she was dressed she looked very well indeed and was placed in the front to the editor's office came in multitudes seedy and poverty-stricken literary men 
there were not twenty-four years ago so many literary women as at present but there were many more seedy literary men because in those days the great doors of journalism were neither so wide nor so wide open as they are now every one i remembered wanted to write a series of articles each in turn proposed a series as if it was a new and striking idea a certain airy rollicking red-nosed person who had once walked the hospitals proposed i remember to catch science on the wing on the wing sir in a series of articles a heavy conscientious person also red-nosed proposed in a series of articles to set the world right in economics an irresponsible fluttering elderly gentleman with a white waistcoat and a red nose thought that a series of articles on say the vestries of our native land would prove enormously popular if not the vestries then the question of education or of emigration or or something else the main point with all was not the subject but the series as it happened nobody ever was allowed to contribute a series at all then there were the people who sent up articles and especially the poor ladies who were on the point of starving would the editor only only take their article heavens what has become of all those ladies it was twenty-four years ago these particular ladies must have perished long since but there are more and more and more still starving as every editor knows full well sometimes sitting in that sanctum i looked through their manuscripts for them sometimes the writers called in person and the editor had to see them and if they were women they went away crying though he was always as kind as possible poor things yet what could one do their stuff was too too terrible another word as to the contributions in most cases a glance at the very first page was sufficient the manuscript was self-condemned oh says the contributor if the editor would only tell me what is wrong i would alter it dear contributor no editor has time for teaching you must send him the paper complete finished and ready for press else it either goes back or lies on the shelf when rice handed over the paper to his successor there were piles of manuscripts lying on all the shelves where are those manuscripts now to be sure i do not believe there was one among them all worth having rice wrote a novel by himself for his own paper it was a work which he did not reproduce because there were certain chapters which he wished to rewrite he was always going to rewrite these chapters but never did and the work remains still in the columns of once a week where it may be hunted out by those who are curious one day when he was lamenting the haste with which he had been compelled to send off a certain instalment he told me that he had an idea of another novel which seemed to him not only possible but hopeful he proposed that we should take up his idea together work it out if it approved itself to me as it did to him and write a novel upon it together his idea in the first crude form was simple so simple that i wonder it had never occurred to anybody before the prodigal son was to come home again apparently repentant ready with the single intention of feigning repentance and getting what he could out of the old man and then going back to his old companions that was the first germ 
when we came to hammer this out together a great many modifications became necessary the profligate stained with vice the companion of scoundrels his conscience hardened and battered and reckless had yet left hitherto undiscovered some human weakness by this weakness he had to be led back to the better life perhaps you have read the story dear reader one may say without boasting that it attracted some attention from the outset i even believe that it gave an upward turn a last gasp to the circulation of the dying paper when to anticipate a little the time came for publishing it we were faced with the fact that a new and anonymous novel is naturally regarded with doubt by publishers nothing seems more risky than such a venture on the other hand we were perfectly satisfied that there was no risk in our novel at all this of course we had found out not only from the assurances of vanity but also from the reception the work had met with during its progress through the magazine therefore we had it printed and bound at our own expense and we placed the book ready for publication in the hands of mr william tinsley we so arranged the business that the printer's bill was not due till the first returns came from the publisher by this artful plan we avoided paying anything at all we had only printed a modest edition of six hundred and these all went off leaving of course a very encouraging margin the cheap edition was sold to henry s king and company for a period of five years then the novel was purchased outright by chatto and windus who still continue to publish it and i believe to sell it as things go a novelist has reason to be satisfied with an immortality which stretches beyond the twenty-first year in another place i am continually exhorting young writers never to pay for production it may be said that i broke my own rule but it will be observed that this case was not one in which production was paid for in the ordinary sense of the term it was one of publication on commission of a book concerning which we were quite certain there was neither doubt nor risk and this is a very good way to publish provided you have such a book and provided your publisher will push the book with as much vigour as his own now since the origin of the story cannot be claimed as my own i may be allowed to express an opinion upon it the profligate with his dreadful past behind him dragging him down the low woman whom he has married the gambler his associate the memory of robbery and of prison and with the new influences around him the girl he loves pure and sweet and innocent the boy whom he picks out of the gutter the wreck of his old father form together a group which i have always thought to be commanding strong attractive interesting much beyond any in the ordinary run of fiction the central figure which i repeat is not my own but my partner's initial conception has been imitated since in fiction and on the stage which shows how strong he is i do not venture to give an opinion upon the actual presentment or working out of that story no doubt it might have been better told but i wish i was five-and-twenty years younger sitting once more in that dingy little office where we wrangled over this headstrong hero of ours and had to suppress so many oh so very many of the rows and troubles and fights into which he fell even after he became respectable the office was handy for rules and oysters we would adjourn for the delicious mollusk and then go back again to the editor's room to resume the wrangle 
here we would be interrupted by julia who brought the bookbinder's account or by the interesting but thirsty hack who brought his copy and with it an aroma of rum or by the airy gentleman who wanted to catch science on the wing sir on the wing or by the economics man or by the irresponsible man ready for anything in the evening we would dine together or go to a theatre or sit in my chambers and play cards before resuming the wrangle we used to take an hour of vingt-un by way of relaxation and always during that period whatever we did wherever we went dick mortiboy sat between us dear old dick dear old dick grew quiet towards the end the wrangling was finished the inevitable was before him he must pay for the past love could not be his nor honour such as comes to most men nor the quiet vie de famille which is all that life really has to give worth having his cousin frank might have love and honour for him dick's brave eyes looked straight before he had no illusions for him the end that belongs to the nineteenth-century ruffler the man of the west the sportsman and the gambler the only end the bullet from the revolver of his accomplice was certain and inevitable so it ended dick died the novel was finished dick died our friend died he had his faults but he was dick and he died and alas his story was all told and done with the manuscript finished the last wrangle over the fatal word the melancholy word fini written below the last line End of chapter 1